Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Euro podcast, the podcast by the Digital Euro Association, which is the biggest European think tank on topics within the realms of digital money and specifically the digital euro. My name is Sarah Palerovic and I'm the executive director of the Digital Euro Association. And today I'm joined by Glenn Kim. Glenn Kim is the managing director of strategic business development at Fluency and has over 30 plus years of experience as a government and central bank financial advisor, investment banker and entrepreneur in tech and financial services. It's great to have you, Glenn. Welcome. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So let's get started by getting a bit of background information on yourself as well as Fluency um, and just... Sure. Just for full disclosure, Fluency is supporting member at the Digital Euro Association. And so that being said, could you provide us with some more information about what it is that Fluency does? Sure. Um, fundamentally, we're a technology company. Uh, we focus on creating a DLT-based CBDC platform. Uh, and using our in-house proprietary technologies, um, we've developed a means for central banks to set up their own CBDC network in a relatively fast and efficient manner. I mean, that's that's our agenda. Uh, this was really done to afford central banks the ability to select those functionalities and features that best suit their individual needs and requirements for their audience, thereby minimizing any development, uh, any further developments in the future or extensions or custom solutions on top or undermining, if you will, um, current, if you will, structures that they have already in place. So what would be some examples of the tasks that you're, quote unquote, taking from the central bank in the future that they don't have to worry about anymore? Well, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question you ask. As far as um, tasks, what we were trying to do is to enable central banks to be aware of what is technologically feasible. I mean, fundamentally, a change like central bank digital currencies really... Um, if it goes all to plan, will be a fundamental transformation of, or in my mind, a, uh, a completion of a bridge that will fulfill the promise, uh, hopefully, of digitizing money. I mean, th think about it. We've been using everything from cowrie shells to to uh, printed coins to uh, to paper money to um, holographic plastic. Uh, now we have the prospect of if you will, eliminating a lot of these um, almost medieval-like ideas to using effectively um, to the maximum degree the dig digitization, if you will, of, um, of value uh, across entire landscapes. Yeah, nice, nice little recap of the history of money right there. Um, and that's, uh, you've also basically answered my next question, which would be what the, or why the topic of CBDCs and stablecoins are relevant to to fluency, which of course, um, otherwise, um, there might not be uh, fluency to begin with. But what exactly is it like? What services um, and products? And if you already touched a bit on this, um, you make um, central banks' lives easier, let's say, um, by providing service and products. So, which ones are those exactly? Well, I mean, to, let me just step back a little bit. 
I mean, when you think about it, and you probably said the literature around the prospect of having a central bank digital currency has been around for a while. I think strangely, and, and it's often the case, you need an exogenous event to, um, if you will, catalyze um, um, industry, or in this case, governments to act. And I think in my mind, and I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say this as I'm the only one who believes it, but if you look at the advent of Bitcoin and the advent um, um, and, and, the, and the announcement around uh, Facebook when originally when it was Facebook and when it brought forward Consul Libra, I think, I think that's when the penny dropped for a lot of uh, regulators and central bankers that the need to address or, or, or in my mind, complete, if you will, the digital uh, currency highway uh, was necessary. And, and, and so many of those papers were uh, revisited, um, activated, enhanced, and explored. But in all cases, you will still need to have two components. What is technically feasible uh, and, what is, and what is feasible from a policy point of view. What we're trying to do at Fluency is to enable, if you will, uh, central, bank, uh, central bankers and regulators to become familiar with what is technically feasible. And to be sure, the uh, the the um, what's uh, the the ecosystem that is evolved around um, digital rails of all sorts um, have brought some really wonderful novel ideas, many of which which can be harnessed and uh, and improved upon in a manner which we believe that central banks can adopt, and that adoption should augur or otherwise bring forward the introduction of CBDCs broadly. Uh, around various marketplaces. You mentioned about stable coins. I, I just want to make it clear that we are, stable coins per se are not particularly relevant uh, to us. Um, as noted earlier, we, we, we are focused on providing a means for central banks or their equivalent uh, to create their own network. And so to the extent that central banks do not utilize or recognize or transact in stable coins, our platform is not particularly relevant. That is, however, not to say that our platform could not uh, facilitate coins of one kind or another, but rather it is not the focus of our business. I also want to make clear that um, fluency is, is agnostic towards stablecoins as a as a as a uh, as a form. Um, we neither endorse or disapprove the use of coin of stablecoins of one kind or another. Um, we certainly, however, can say that we imagine their utility in the future as in when adoption and broader use cases emerge, but, we've no, but, uh, but we don't have a formalized view on that and as to if and when that will happen. I hope that helps out now. Yeah, certainly. I hope the audience sees it the, way, the same way that I do, that it did. Um, I was just wondering, while you were explaining that you're basically catering towards um, central banks, mostly or national banks, for those countries where the national bank of a country um, actually has the test of, a, of, the, of the central bank, um, does that mean that I, as the end consumer, wouldn't necessarily come into contact with a fluency product per se? So that it's more of a um, B2 central bank business model? Good question. It's, um, it is, to be sure, we are at the er early part of this journey um, or in the early chapters of this book, uh, whichever you like. Um, so it's unclear how it will evolve because a lot of it, as I say, will be determined by the policies that central banks themselves uh, promulgate. Uh, 
and 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 put forward. Um, certainly, I, I'm aware of the view that this could um, that policies will are likely to emerge in the not in the not too distant future, either through pilots or con- broad, broader consultations. But certainly, we're seeing uh, a lot more um, um, energy around this space from a from a from the government's point of view, for governments and regulators' point of view. And I think with that in mind, um, we're seeing them involve themselves and interact directly with um, the private sector community who are providing um, CBDC-related solutions or equivalent, and we're among them. All right. And um, it is, uh, as a matter of fact, also the case that you've as fluency, are also in direct touch with central banks related to um, CBDC products more broadly. And are you allowed um, in this regard to name any central banks which with which you collaborate or um, it, that you advise on CBDC-related projects? Oh, my. Um, slightly tough one. Um, to your first question, the answer is an unequivocal yes. Um, we've enjoyed a fruitful and sometimes spirited conversations with a wide variety of central banks over the past several years. Um, but it's through these discussions uh, and chats on Zoom or equivalent, uh, exchanges of notes or papers, um, we've cultivated this active dialogue with, um, gosh, over a dozen central banks in all regions of the globe. Um, as for your next question, I'm not in a position to disclose which specific central banks that um, that we're involved in, but I can say, because it's public knowledge, uh, that our CEO is a member of the ECB's Market Advisory Group, uh, which is exploring uh, the potentials of CBDCs uh, in Europe, the e-Europe, as well as the CBDC uh, Technology Forum for of the Bank of England. And we're also, in a related way, we're also involved in the Fed's Remittance Improvement Delivery Assessment Group. Well, that's a mouthful. Uh, as part of the FedNow Service Provider Showcase Forum. All right. I think that was more than sufficient, still giving some details and dropping some names here. And the next thing that I'm wondering now specifically more about your role at Fluency is how does your work there relate to um, CBDCs? My work? Uh, Well, let's see. My role at Fluency is has evolved over the past two years. Initially, I, was, I served as, an, uh, as a senior financial advisor uh, to the company, but more recently, I've been asked to take on a more active role uh, in, in strategic business development. Um, I mean, by way of just stepping back, by way of background, I've been in an investment banker for over two decades. And in that time, I've had the uh, privilege and honor to work closely with a number of financial institutions, government, government-related entities, like um, like multilateral institutions like the IMF, um, central banks and monetary authorities, you know, throughout Asia, the Americas, the Middle East, and Europe. And so, um, but but perhaps more pertinent is among the skills I've acquired um, during these years is a deep appreciation of how different public sector organizations operate. That is, how do they go about setting their priorities? How do their decision process? Um, their execution uh, formats, the formalities. Uh, and in fact, I've had the privilege of working closely with a number of European governments and institutions post the 2008 global financial crisis, uh, which you know later merged, uh, morphed into the European sovereign debt crisis. 
But after having fulfilled these public sector roles, I rotated back into the private sector with an opportunity to build a challenger bank from scratch, uh, which was a completely new experience for me. Um, and, and the company was later acquired by a payments company. Um, and and if, you, if you take those various professional strands, uh, my investment banking experience, my government work in the financial space, and my involvement in a startup digital bank, all of these caught the attention of, the, of Fluency's CEO. And after some long and detailed conversations about the potential future uh, of central bank digital currencies, I was, I was convinced that the folks at Fluency might, might be onto something, something exciting and relevant, um, and you know, dove, uh, you know, dove in head first. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, you're also the perfect person to comment on the matter of private sector products for public sector CBDCs for exactly um, your given background and all the expertise that you've accrued over the years, um, all the different um, government institutions, um, countries, um, and private sector um, companies that you've worked for. I think we now got a good notion from what perspective you are approaching CBDCs, both from fluency perspective and um, your personal perspective. And now when we talk about CBDCs in particular, um, the often quoted um, public-private partnership is emphasized, which is usually relating to commercial banks taking over the task of distributing CBDCs, um, well, depending on the CBDC model of a country also taking over um, know your customer and anti-money laundering tasks. Yeah. But what often isn't highlighted um, is the chance of um, private companies providing public sector services or products that can actually um, accompany or make the customer experience more worthwhile with public CBDCs, um, which is what we will be touching on today. Um, so right off the bat, um, could you outline which products or services there are in general or which ones are imaginable in the future? Huh. Um, wow, there's a lot to unpack on that one. Um, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, um, I mean, in the main, uh, CDBCs have come to have, 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 strictly speaking, with very few exceptions, but one major one in, in Asia, um, have yet to come to existence. Yeah, and so, so, so to speak, to speak of the products and services that will ultimately serve uh, CBDCs could be could be seen as premature. Um, but that's uh, having been said. Um, what we have learned a great deal, we've learned a great deal at Fluence over the past um, couple of years, having run several different pilots and from our own research and from all the tests that we performed um, internally using potential, you know, testing out very, <clears throat> a variety of potential structures, features, product ideas. And what I can say is that we've become, in, become reasonably proficient in designing and solving CBDC related issues within our own platform. That has given us the confidence and, and, and competence, I think, to advise uh, central banks at this stage uh, on this topic and provide them mostly the technological solutions that will, in the real world, um, address or solve the issues that, that so far have proven very challenging uh, in the recent past. And, and based on these solution sets, we've created um, and offer central banks a whole suite of technological products under our brand called uh, Orium, Fluency Orium. And, and, and they, they vary, you know, they vary between simple end user wallets to whole complex server software 
for maintaining CBDC networks in the first place. I mean, there's a there's a lot of stuff on that. I think it, if I I would suggest that if your um, viewers wanted to know more, um, they could just reach out through the Fluency website, and um, and we'd be happy to kind of go through uh, and pinpoint areas that uh, or or product suites that uh, that may be of most interest. Hope that I hope that would be helpful for for all of you. Yes, yeah, certainly. We'll make sure to link that down in the um, podcast episode description. So you see the um, possible products and services mostly in the tech realms from what I've garnered from your answer. Um, and would you say that it's a necessity, basically, so that the private sector um, gets involved with CBDCs? Or do you think that should or it's conceivable that a central bank says, no, we want to set up our own wallet. We want to um, take care of all the tech setup ourselves. We're not going to outsource that to private um, sector companies. <laughs> Interesting. Um, in the perfect world, I'm sure the latter would be <laughs> would be preferable to to a, a central bank itself. But in practical, practically speaking, I don't see that as being um, the, the most efficient means to an end. Um, so I do think that there will be a fair bit of collaboration um, between the private and the public sector. Um, really, it's, it's sort of, it's about roles, right? Um, right now, there are no real clear defined functions that should or should not be outsourced to the private sector per se, but somewhere along this continuum, we can imagine that the private sector could be deployed for elements like um, distribution, uh, compliance functions, uh, providing access or, or, or the development of, of new, new products and services. I mean, this is the mainstay of what the private sector is awfully good at. And the remainder would probably best suit central banks themselves in their, in their own native core competencies. I mean, I can, I can imagine intermediaries uh, in the private sector like, like ourselves and, and, and others who will no doubt emerge um, can and perhaps should handle uh, aspects of customer personal data collection and, and processing, you know, in line with G, G, uh, GDPR, and should be the main and even sole personal data per processor. I mean, these are things that are that are imminently being proven each and every day. Intermediaries can also probably are, are probably best suited also for the KYC uh, processes that they have already in place. I mean, <laughs> it it can be an arduous. Uh, experience for some when you go to a bank to set up a new account, but but in my, certainly in my experience and in what I've seen in the setup of new digital banks, there's an extraordinary reserve, uh, reservoir of data that would enable um, the private sector to perform KYC pros to sufficiently to meet, if you will, regulatory, if you will, guidelines, and therefore that type of um, role could easily uh, be outsourced to, to, to intermediaries. And, and it and can also include defining and setting up those, if you will, um, rules and regulations in assistance with central banks themselves. Um, what other things? Um, intermediaries can also be responsible to provide, um, you know, as you decide, you mentioned earlier, dedicated hardware digital wallets to their clients, you know, smart cards, simple hardware uh, wallets, um, and, and, you know, adapting those for customers with, you know, disabilities, um, you know, these sort of things, um, to me best suit what already is, what the private sector already is really good at already. So I imagine those sort of areas 
would be very fertile for um, uh, private sector companies uh, to provide, and not not just fluency, but uh, quite a large ecosystem of people who are in the payments industry, identification um, card or card related identification companies. All of these will play some role, I think, uh, in in develop in in the development of a C CBDC network. So I would like to actually circle back to something that you've mentioned, an aspect that was um, GDPR compliant um, way of storing data for private sector companies. How would you think about um, the general public perceiving um, that then their data isn't stored with a with a central bank necessarily, if given that they're outsourcing a certain task, a certain process um, to private sector companies? Do you not think that would cause an outcry or? What way do you it depends. You know, it's a funny thing you should ask, Sarah, because when in our interaction with, you know, a variety of different uh, central banks, um, we found a rather peculiar observation. One, uh, some central banks found um, security and privacy to be number one, two, three, and four of their concerns. Others said that um, the privacy is not as much of a concern. And I think in some ways it reflects uh, the um, acceptance, if you will, of privacy and security related uh, aspects in individual cultures. Um, I think for the ECB, it will, it will, be, it will be challenging to, to find, if you will, a um, homogeneous um, uh, or a, a, a size that fits uh, the entire community sufficiently so that uh, people will feel uh, it, uh, accepting, if you will, of a degree, um, of the degree of privacy or security that would be afforded by a CBDC. And, and, and I think there's two parts of that. One, um, it's temporal, right? It, it, you could imagine that any rollout would not be a, you know, it's Monday morning, it's eight o'clock and bang, everything becomes, uh, you know, uh, digital. I, I, I cannot see that happen. I do, however, can, can envision something being rolled out methodically through different phases and where people become attuned or comfortable with um, the, whole, the whole UI UX of a CBDC usage. And that includes the privacy and security element. Um, whether that will be the case, I'm not sure. But in, in my mind, it, that cautious step-by-step -step approach being communicated in a thoughtful rollout plan um, would probably be, in my mind, the most logical way to do to do this. Yeah, and as is conceivable, it's of course also possible that um, first anonymity isn't isn't necessarily granted from the from the get go, and then we're going to have to see how culture adapts to a CBDC being introduced, people warming up to it, um, younger generations um, dealing possibly differently with, with that type of money um, and so on. But I mean, yeah, no, no, you, you hit, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, just think about it this way. If, you know, there's been an outcry for some that gosh, you know, um, payment companies or, or, um, crypto exchanges want to be regulated or some do, some don't, um, you know, what does that mean? I mean, think about it this way. If, if someone is prepared to um, be, let, let me rephrase, 
I'll give a different example. In my observation in building a digital bank, I observed that banks who wanted to become more uh, um, digitally fluent um, were migrating from a very strong compliance KYC culture um, and, and found it very difficult, right, at times to uh, become more competent and and uh, more synergistic with uh, the audience for financial technology. The other side, um, payments companies who have a lighter, if you will, touch from a regulatory point of view, uh, trying to become banks, have found that journey also difficult because they don't have the same culture around KYC and compliance. Um, and these two have both found their individual journeys quite the mirror opposite of each other. And I think when you see going forward, what will be the likely outcome is that, I, again, I do see this as being something more of a, uh, of a phased, if you will, introduction, um, and that folks will become more, uh, how would I say, comfortable with the degree of, of um, protection they will be afforded. Also, I would say that Europe in particular is, is sensitive um, around privacy and security. And so I'm, I'm reasonably confident that uh, the, the regulators and the, uh, and the central bank will be very mindful that the construct that would be, uh, or the rules, if you will, of the road will be such which will be acceptable, if you will, to the broader audience. Otherwise, the risk of adoption, broader adoption will be, will be, um, uh, will rise significantly. All right, really interesting. And uh, also covering uh, most of my stances on that topic as well, actually. And the next question that I'm curious about that you might be able to shed some light on is, What's government stances or how do they react to um, the offered private economy wallets and especially the custodial versus non-custodial custodial wallets that are offered? Huh. Um, I mean, governments were, were already active in fostering mark, in the market environment and digital infrastructure to achieve things like financial inclusion and cashless societies prior to the emergence of COVID-19. But... COVID um, has, on a whole host of different levels, um, advanced technological adoption by, a, by the broader, broader, broader society faster than just about anything else could. I mean, the pandemic, if it has one silver lining, is that it has uh, enabled and brought forward, if you will, um, the use of, of technology to the everyday Uh, in in everyday life to everyday individuals. Um, and I think that has been a good thing broadly. And I think that central banks and regulators have taken some comfort that um, technology um, can and can, if channeled uh, in, in a certain manner, bring tremendous benefits to people, especially those who otherwise could, would have been in jeopardy in terms of access to um, foodstuffs, to being able to pay for it, for deliveries, for uh, for medicine, uh, all of this was benefited um, from from, if you will, the adoption of technology faster than they would otherwise. So I think in this respect, uh, government has been working and has become more comfortable working closely with, in the in in the financial space, private sector banks and fintech players. But that said, 
the the wallets you know note that the wallet space is rapidly evolving and that means you're going to see varying velocities of growth and sophistication and while most you know big global players are characterized as tech companies uh, and third-party payment platforms like Alipay or PayPal regional regional players um, are also important because they're supported by national enterprises and, and predominantly banks and, and mobile mobile network operators. So when you think about global digital wallet players like um, Apple Pay and Google Pay, they obviously benefit from a strong consumer base and, um, and they already have imbued a great deal of, or have earned great uh, consumer confidence as well as greater willingness from banks and merchants to foster these type of partnerships. So I think this has clearly benefited tech and mobile ownership um, um, you know, the, the, this, this is effectively, um, benefit these, this benefits these players, because if you have a phone, um, there's a lot of data that is, a, that, that enables, if you will, credit to be, to be, uh, to be provided in very short order, as well as being able to get verified, um, to do KYCs, all those things are, are much faster than they would otherwise have been. Uh, but government regulations in certain markets limit penetration and merchant acceptance uh, in certain places and while in other markets global wallets come with very high transaction fees um, for you know merchant partnerships and these are areas which i think will also um, be addressed with greater competition and with more um, with likely more government oversight um, you know what examples where there's a somewhere in between is uh, Swish uh, in Sweden or Matapay in Saudi Arabia have often been backed by government or consortium banks in order to facilitate, if you will, uh, adoption. So I think, you know, national and regional ownership ownerships tend to ease localization as well as regulatory processes. And that's why I think it's not, I think it, as the ECB, for example, considers its full landscape within the Eurozone. Um, it will also have to be considering um, the regional impacts and the national, if you will, oversights that will be necessary for broader adoption with, throughout the Eurozone. Um, and, and, you know, I, I also dropped the note around national telecom services. Um, they, too, are easing the use of digital wallets for the unbanked uh, customers and enabling local merchant ecosystems. Uh, due to the fact that they have, you know, they have greater focus on peer-to-peer -peer payments and remittances. And, you know, there are folks out there that have a phone but don't have, um, or but are unbanked. So, again, this type of inclusion component will also be on the minds of, of, um, of CBDs, uh, of regulators and, and uh, central bankers. So, I guess, broadly, we'd say that governments are on the whole very supportive um, on the development of private uh, economy wallets, but will, of course, want to be sure that there's a degree of coherence and hence that we should expect um, there to have some sort of regulatory framework around around how they operate. That's a really long-winded answer, but that's the way I think about it. I think we certainly got that um, central banks aren't necessarily looking into um, things such as um, enhancing user experience, for example, in such an app. Um, and um, also competition of wallet providers, or you've touched on um, Swish um, and so on, our payment services that are currently existing, such as PayPal, are actually not necessarily a bad thing. Um, oh, contrary, no, no, actually, that they're taking yeah, on the test. Certainly not bad. No, no, it's certainly not bad. I mean, there will need to be, 
a coexistence between a lot of these, uh, if you will, systems, and there will be, if you will, links between and across them. Yeah, I think where um, where governments and regulators will be particularly sensitive is to ensure that there is, if you will, um, uh, no leakage, if you will, around around or arbitrages that would otherwise exist when you cross over between these links. Yeah, that's certainly an important point. And um, to slowly come to an end here, actually, I have one more final question about competition, but this time it isn't about um, private co companies or private economy wallet providers, for example. It's more about how do you envision um, the future landscape of money um, to look like? So in terms of will it be a coexistence of crypto, CBDC um, and cash, or do you think one will render the other obsolete or what's your take on that? It's a time frame question also. Um, you know, I guess, you know, we believe that CBDCs will emerge in, in several, in, in a couple forms. One, um, in a public sector form, i.e., you know, a central bank digital currency in which the CBDC is an alternative to commercial bank money. Um, and the second will be, um, you know, enterprise CBDC, which CBDCs from the private sector will may engage in the exchange of different types of money. You know, cash would still exist, uh, but as but as you've seen, you know, reports continue to show that the broad use and circulation um, continues to decline. Um, and I, we believe this will in turn probably accelerate CBDC adoption if process uh, if it possesses cash-like qualities and functionalities. And you alluded to some of them earlier, like anonymity, um, um, the security of knowing it's in your hand, um, possessing um, uh, the assurance that it will be accepted um, to the, to, in any form that I provided to the recipient. Um, so on the whole, I think that we will see that these qualities will ensure that CBDC adoption will Uh, emerge and grow and 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 uh, and become more widespread over time. That doesn't preclude, however, um, you know the existence, the coexistence of cryptocurrencies, and we expect them to be to be some some of them anyway will, will likely be regulated. Um, and this may in turn nudge some current cryptocurrency users and enterprises to switch to CBDCs if. CBDCs offer comparable programmability and other innovative characteristics. Um, this is yet, yet, yet to be seen. Um, but we, but we also believe that um, you know there will also be some cryptocurrencies that will continue to serve as an alternative investment form or or, or a speculative asset for some. Um, and then the last one, I guess, is uh, stablecoins. So in terms of stablecoins. The ones that utilize auto balance or or and or algorithmic solutions are likely to be heavily scrutinized. I think, certainly on the basis of what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks, and perhaps some might even, you know, maybe even banned for all I know. But but the more traditional asset backed vari uh, variety, which you know, um, similar to crypto, may be placed under more strict regulation in terms of how reserves for them should be structured, held, audited. Um, the transparency um, of their uh, of the assets around them, you know, uh, this will look a whole lot like, if you will, what our envision of enterprise CBDCs to be, um, uh, to, uh, that, that where enterprise CBDCs could emerge from the entire banking space as well 
to the retail to the retail consumer. Um, you know, just bear in mind, I, I um, that when the first uh, iPhone was announced on um, uh, fifteen plus odd years ago, you know, people kind of wondered whether there would be a whole, um, you know, what what it, will there be a growth of apps that you can you know really exercise your your newfound hardware in your phone. And here we are, you know, where today we talk about earlier about the uh, technological adoption. You know, apps and smartphones have enabled uh, the individual to do so many incredible things. And our general sense is that CBDCs, although not the iPhone, um, but if you think about CBDCs as yet another, if you will, expression of uh, the of what can be possible in technology and the fulfillment if you will of completing this digital if you will highway for a regulated asset like a national currency um, we have in, we have incredible optimism around how cbdc's will evolve and the number of products and services that will emerge from tons of new companies most probably don't even exist yet uh, will come forward over the next decade. So we're pretty bullish about where CBDCs are going um, and feel that companies like ourselves and others uh, will hopefully play a meaningful role in facilitating that outcome. Nice linkage back to CBDCs here, um, though I wish we could, of course, spend more time discussing stablecoins and the happenings of the last weeks with you. But Glenn, for this for the time being, um, that was it for this um, podcast episode. I hope we get to invite you back, um, possibly for another episode and another um, related topic sometime soon. Thank you so much for, for being uh, on this episode and uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Not at all. My pleasure.